I know I clapped. I'm sure you you clapped. I'm sure Jules will hear individual claps, but like I heard nothing, and that is amazing. Yes, yes, it is. Well done. Hello, this is the Android Police Podcast for September 16th, 2022. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's Apple Week, folks. We're recording this on Friday, September 16th. Uh, it's uh, You can go out to the Apple Store, buy a new iPhone. There's a, a new Apple Watch Series 8, new AirPods coming next week, a new Apple Watch Ultra coming soon. Uh, it's, a, it's a big, big week for Apple stuff, but uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit and then go back to Android things. Because Android's more fun. <laughs> we took a week off last week because... Um, you're you're not seeing this, but I'm I'm gesturing wildly uh, at the world. Uh, we we, need, we needed a week off. Um, sorry about not mentioning it, but uh, Ara Wagner, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I should have taken more vacation time. Sorry. You keep saying that. You keep saying that. I know somebody who takes a lot of vacation, right. who's on the call as well, so he can tell you what it's like to take more than a week off at a time. You know, I should hey, have taken more vacation time, is what <laughs> I think I'm hearing here. Um, Will, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm doing good. How are yeah. you, Daniel? <laughs> no one ever asks it's, you, the host. Nobody how does ask me. How are you? Even my kids don't. Well, my, <laughs> only one of my kids can talk, but uh, my kid never asks me how I'm doing. So... Tell her to ask me how I'm doing. I think I, uh, I think I need that. I ask her every morning. I say, how did you sleep? And she goes, meh. Like a little gremlin. It's, uh, it's very cute. What? She, She's not my, a morning person. She's like your dad. Exactly. Well, the funny thing is she was a morning person until recently. And then she would like, I would go into her room. I would open the curtains. I would say, good morning. And like she would be like bright as a button and like get up and get dressed and like go downstairs and like be really happy. And then like in the last month, she turned four just a few weeks ago. She has now gone the complete opposite direction every morning. She's like, I want to go back to sleep. Let me sleep. And is like super mad at the world. This morning, she literally put the covers over her head and pretended that she was still asleep. <laughs> and I just had to sit there going like checkmate. Like I, I got nothing like this is incredible because she is exactly like me in the morning. So you also do I that can't. every morning, right? You put the covers over your head. <laughs> I actually, I actually do. I hate getting up. Um, so yeah, let's jump in. So last Friday was, uh, or last Tuesday, rather, Apple's um, Wednesday far out event took place. Wednesday was it Tuesday, Wednesday? Yeah, and uh, they put up a bunch of stuff for pre-order on the Friday, including the iPhone 14, 14 Pro, 14 Pro Max, iPhone 14 Plus is coming later this year for some reason will you're ordering one yeah because we're doing some counter programming yeah what was your impression of these phones i mean the reviews are out mm -hmm. so we kind of know what the pro max is or pro and pro max's value prop is this year but are you excited about using an iphone this year you know i am intrigued uh I, and this happens every year but more than ever you know an iphone and and say a, an s22 or whatever are closer than ever right like now last year iphone got high refresh rate displays now they have an always on display right switching back and forth between these platforms is is uh, i don't want to say easy because because of ecosystem lock-in but in terms of like using the phone and and knowing what features are there and and having feature parity essentially they're more similar than ever and so i'm excited to try it out i'm excited to go on a vacation to the dynamic island uh, i've heard it's beautiful this time of year 
And uh, yeah, the I don't waves know. Yeah, the waves are <laughs> crashing against the shore. <laughs> Everybody's happy on the dynamic. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I am curious. I, I think the iPhone 14 and, and the 14 Plus, I don't want to spend almost any time talking about them. I think they're the most boring iPhone since the, the iPhone 8. My honest advice to anyone considering those phones is to to take a good look at the iPhone 13 and, and at its lower price and think about buying that one. But the Pro and the, the Pro Max are, I think, relatively interesting this year. Yeah. What's really interesting is the Dynamic Island is obviously taking up most of the space in marketing and the conversation. And yet in the reviews that I've seen and, and read about, it does appear to be a very incomplete feature. And what's important here is that Apple often introduces a whole bunch of ideas and then iterates on them over the years. And some of them stick and some of them don't, right? Like remember Force Touch? That disappeared, right? Remember the touch bar, right? That disappeared. And these are all ideas that Apple plays with for a few years. And what's really interesting to me about this is that this is sort of like Apple taking advantage of an inevitability, the inevitability of there being a notch, them getting all of those sensors and the camera smaller so that it doesn't need as big a notch, doesn't need to go all the way to the top, and then leveraging that in order to actually create a feature. And I think in that sense, they do a good job. But this will go away. Inevitably, Apple will shrink the Face ID sensors even more. The camera will one day go under the display. And the dynamic island will dry up in a climate change disaster like everywhere else in the world. And it will no longer be there. And that's something that I find really interesting is that the company's leaning into this, but I can't see it surviving for longer than a few years. Right, yeah. the notch lasted five years. Yeah, I would give the dynamic island three. Well, and the notch isn't dead. I mean, it's still there's going to be more iPhone 14s sold than than 14, you know, pros. I w- I would expect, and the notch will continue on into the future the same way that you know the home button quote unquote died in 2017, and like I still have friends who were on you know an iPhone SE or whatever and has the home button. So like you know it it'll exist, but. But yeah, I think in the same way, you're right. Under display cameras aren't quite there yet. The Z Fold 4s isn't bad, but it, it certainly is. Oh, it's bad. It's 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 terrible, better than but the it, but it's threes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's certainly nothing Apple would touch with a 10 foot pole right now. But it will probably someday eventually get there. And and yeah, we'll we'll see a, a full screen iPhone. But it's yeah. years away. So all that being said, we're still waiting for the Live Activities API to really take advantage of what will become a more interesting use case for the dynamic island. Right now, there's only a few apps that it supports, some music apps, some ride-sharing apps, and basically all of Apple's first-party experiences. But eventually, you'll be able to like see this thing that I don't know if it'll ever be as dynamic as it's being shown on in ads, like bouncing around playfully all day, every day, distracting you. What I've seen so far is that it really is a static element for most of the day until you decide to interact with it. But it's it's creative. I mean, you have to give it to Apple. It is a creative way to use the space that the sensors and the camera up there need to take. Yeah, it also kind of solves the issue of... of um, Android has a, a notification bar, right? Like you can kind of see like, oh, I have a... I have a text message icon sitting there, right? Like I must have an unread message I, I didn't see come in or whatever. And and this kind of solves that. Maybe not for messaging so much, but but for other notifications, you know, like, oh, like 
my maps are running in the background or whatever. Like, it's not one to one, but it is closer than iOS has ever had for this kind of stuff. And I, I think it's it's an interesting approach to it, even if it's not quite what I mean. I would just want them to copy what Android has, but you know, they're probably not going to do that. No, because notifications on iOS are still bad. bad. <laughs> they're still bad. Esim only. That's interesting. This is something I actually don't know if every carrier is going to copy or every carrier, every OEM is going to copy. Like most things people eventually copy Apple with, you know, if it's a seat change. Obviously, the argument here is that it's another physical port that Apple is removing. So there are some advantages to that accessibility wise. There are advantages. You don't have to find a little toothpick every time you want to take out your SIM card it does remove some physical space, which gives Apple back however many square millimeters to put in a bigger battery or more components. And then there is that idea of just making it easier to switch between carriers. But a lot of people are saying that the physical SIM is status quo in most of the world still. And then if you're an American traveling outside the country, not having access to physical SIMs in your local destination is inevitably going to benefit the carriers because then you're probably going to be more likely to use their roaming plan. And those are usually much more expensive than just going out and buying a local SIM. There are some virtual eSIM apps specifically for traveling. Uh, my partner and I literally just used her, her plan does not support any roaming in Canada. So when we went to Canada a month or so, a month and a half ago, we used it was my first time using eSIM, to be honest, and, and it actually worked really well. Obviously, that's not traveling overseas or whatever. That's just literally driving 25 minutes north for us, but it worked <laughs> well. Um, I do think, I, I wrote about this last week, we'll eventually see, probably sooner rather than later, especially in the US, Android manufacturers, I'm thinking Samsung, follow Apple's lead. I think there's the precedent there, but I also think that like this does kind of give them a certain amount of control because as we've seen with Apple, They've kind of built into iOS a much easier way of switching from phone to phone with Bluetooth, right? Like it's it's switching your eSIM from one phone to another is super quick if you're running iOS on both phones. It's much less easy if you are switching from iPhone to Android or, or even Android to well, iPhone. It's also a matter of availability because mm -hmm. eSIM is still not supported in large portions of the world. I agree. I think this and is, Android manufacturers. Yeah. Like iPhone can be more, oh, we're eSIM only because we only deal in these richer countries that have eSIM. Well, uh, they're, they're... Android phones, I think, still need the physical SIM because they design usually like one main design for all markets and then just sure. change the bands per market. You can so get an I think iPhone. Physical skim. Like like the everywhere else it has an eSIM or it has a SIM tray. Um, it, it's literally just the U.S. model that doesn't. So like the, that, and that's why I'm thinking, you know, you you would need a company like. Samsung sized right now to to essentially do it. I think they're the the company on the Android side that could uh produce, you know, US specific models that that don't have a SIM tray and then, you know, keep it SIM everywhere else. But yeah, I I just like I I think well, what would be the point? I mean, uh, lock in. That that's what I'm trying to get to is that I think Sam you could see Samsung being like, "Well, we've made it really easy to to switch, you know, you can transfer your eSIM to another Samsung phone super easy, but if you want to do it to a Pixel, like it's a little harder. It's, it's you got to you got to contact a carrier. It's a whole thing. You might as well just stick with us." And I think that's kind of the the angle from the manufacturers, from the OEMs. Yeah, that would be my guess. Apple is obviously 
in a better position to negotiate with the carriers. Apple does not acquiesce. I mean, they do in some cases, right? When they went all in on 5G with bringing Verizon on stage and talking about how Apple's 5G is better than the other uh, manufacturers' versions and really just like lying to people about how big of a sea change the transition from 4G to 5G would be. But in this case, the fact that they're doing it in the US, it speaks to, I think the infrastructure is there in the US for eSIM. Every major carrier and most MVNOs do have eSIM support, and Apple knows this. If you go to the support page for the iPhone 14 Pro in the US, it shows all the carriers that support it. It's quite a few. And the number of people that are supported by this is is enormous. And and Apple knows that you know not everybody's buying a Pro, and that's why they kept the SIM tray in the regular iPhone 14 series. But on the other hand, making it easier for people to switch because you don't need to get a physical SIM technically does force the carriers to better compete, right? So if you have the ability to merely log onto a web page and sign up for an MVNO and download a QR code or scan a QR code, and there you go, your number's ported and you have a better experience, like that's good for the consumer. And that's something that I thought has been the case forever. It's just that the carriers were always worried that not having a physical SIM would make you less likely to go into a store, less likely to call support, less likely for them to be able to convince you to stay with those retention offers. And I think Apple is on the right side of history here. It's just a matter of doing it early or too early so that too many people are going to be left with no options or only their carrier options when they roam. Yeah, I agree with that. Quick correction, none of the iPhone 14s have a have a SIM tray, including the 14 and the 14 Oh, Plus. it's not? No, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought it was just the pros. My no, bad. you're good. Uh, no, it, it's all of them. Yeah, they, they stripped it out of all of them. It, um, but re- regardless... It doesn't change my argument. No, no, it doesn't. Though, I just wanted to say but that. It, it does, I think you're right. It does speak to Apple's decision. It's a big move. They're the company that could do this, I think, right? Like, I don't think any other company could put their weight into this. Like, I, even Samsung, I don't think could. And I think we'll see companies like Samsung kind of follow because that path has been laid. They can do it now. And it's just a matter of time. Right. So other than that, I mean, the only other thing really to talk about is the camera upgrades. And they don't look like major upgrades. So this is a 48 megapixel binned sensor binning down to 12 megapixels. they've invented binning. (laughs) All of the comparisons I've seen so far have said that there's no meaningful improvement in daylight. In low light, the improvements are so subtle that you really have to pixel peep. They've rebranded their processing pipeline as a photonic engine. Deep Fusion was just not. It may have been confused with Deep Purple, which is the new color. I don't what know. What a year where anyway, photonic engine is not the dumbest brand name they said on stage. It's the it's true. Dumbest. It is true. That's that's funny. But I don't know. I'm I'm interested in seeing how this evolves. Right? Apple's kept a 12 megapixel sensor in its phones since the iPhone 6s. It's a very long time. It's almost 10 years. So like the Pixel, I think there will be some growing pains. And we saw that a little bit with the Pixel 6. It wasn't always obvious that the Pixel 6 series took better photos than the Pixel 5 and and other uh, phones that use the IMX363. But I do think this will be better for Apple in the long run. It does introduce a couple of new features like a, a proper 2x crop just by using the middle part of the sensor. 
the sensor itself is slightly larger than the 12 megapixel one in the iPhone 13 series. But yeah, like pound for pound, you're not getting a massive improvement. And, and, and what's really interesting is like all the big hitters, right? The Verge, MKBHD, anybody who's done like comparisons to the pixels and to the S22 series is like, this is not a clear winner anymore. Like the iPhone does not beat those two phones in every situation. And even in most situations, the competitors win. So I don't know. To me, that's really interesting. Still way ahead on video, but not so much on photos. Yeah, the video conversation is is tough. All right, do we want to... I don't think we need to talk about the Apple Watch Ultra. I mean, it is what it It is. It is somehow both expensive and cheaper than I thought it would be. And not exactly the Garmin competitor that anybody wanted, right? I don't... I don't have, I just like, I don't really know who this is for. It, it, it It's for like seven so people. So it's like it's the Watch like 5 seven. Pro. It's too over the top in the wrong way. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's too big. It's too kind of, it's too everything. Like I'm, I appreciate that they went all in, in a way that, that Samsung did not with its Garmin competitor. But at the same time, like, man, who is this for? Like, like it is genuinely like for 15 people and, and Apple can do that. And that's, cool for those 15 people but god i don't know yeah anyway airpods pro 2 i'm excited about those i'm getting a pair in a couple of weeks i will definitely try them and talk about them on the podcast because i'm obsessed with headphones and they might be apple headphones but they are industry leading in a lot of ways especially with the transparency mode what else did they announce i think that was it right i mean i mean did we, did we say the series eight watch it's, nah. it's a yeah. watch okay nah. no i'm yeah. just saying it's it exists. sensor crash detection yeah yeah that's all i think watch os 9 is probably more interesting than the for sure the series 8 itself all right let's talk about some android stuff so Yay! let's go through some notes we're very close to pixel season right the the pixel event is happening in october we now have rumors that Apple will Apple that Google will diversify its manufacturing so that it'll make some of its pixels in India to prevent supply issues. We might get 128 and 256 gigabyte options in most of the world, which is great. Uh, we still don't know a ton about like the event, but we know that the Tensor will be called the Tensor G2. You know, it's all happening. I don't know, Ara. What's what's your feeling on on what's going on on the pixel in, in in the world of Pixel? My feeling is, give me the damn phone already. You showed it off in May. You've already told us about the processor. We're assuming that the RAM and the storage aren't really going to be changing, other than they might possibly get better. But there's no way that Google is going to downgrade in either of those categories. I'm really hoping that they can get units out early because we have seen the phone. We know what this phone looks like. This phone has been photographed in the wild multiple times in the last six months, especially because people have sold Pixel 7s thinking that they were Pixel 6s. I mean, that's pretty funny that we got like an actual unboxing of this phone like two weeks well, ago. And, and like the whole reason they announced it early is because they're like, we leak too much. We're just going to get ahead of it. Say it on stage. And then it's like, how can the leaks go get more intense? It's like, oh, well, now we're just selling them on eBay. <laughs> like It's taking it to the the next level it's great totally seriously and i mean i don't get why because we're gonna get the announcement on the 7th and we're gonna get the phone probably Sixth. like sometime hmm? october 6th sorry i have seven on the brain no, um, I, I get it it should be the 7th shouldn't it uh anywho <laughs> um they're gonna announce it on the 6th it's probably gonna be available like the week of halloween or the week before halloween and it's gonna be out for five weeks and then it's going to get like a 200 dollars discount on black friday 
the phone should go on sale. The phone should go up for pre-order on the 6th, if not just outright go on sale. Because we know what this phone is, and this phone needs all the time it can have in whatever spotlight it can get before it just gets totally overshadowed by $300 off of every flagship you can imagine during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I mean, I don't I don't know if everybody buys Pixels unlocks on Amazon during prime like during Black Friday. I mean, I think a lot of the Pixel audience, for better or worse, are the early adopters that are just like salivating at the idea of pre-ordering this phone on the 6th. Paying full price for it, dealing with the inevitable bugs, like they will do it. They will go to Reddit to complain and they will do it again next year because that's what it is to own a Pixel. And that's it, right? Like Google is selling more Pixels than ever, but it's still not a ton. And we write about Pixel sales a lot when there are some, but we know through our numbers that a lot of people are buying 6As, not 6s, right? And the typical Pixel owner is going to be paying attention on the 6. And you're right, like they're going to want the phone to go on sale that day. It'll probably go on sale the week after, but like as soon as possible. I understand why they launched in October in order to avoid getting lumped in with all the Samsung stuff in August and the iPhone stuff in September. But this phone needs to be coming out earlier because the phone always launches the last week of October and then everybody who pre-ordered just gets slapped in the face when Black Friday rolls around. Sometimes they don't even have to wait for Black Friday. The phone will get discounted in pre-Black Friday deals as well. Like, I don't understand it because it's just, yeah, people are going to pre-order. They are going to pay full dollar for the prestige and just to have it first. I don't know why you would do that when the first week of this phone is always figuring out, okay, which bugs need fixing, which, how long are we going to be waiting for that first patch? Is that going to be the first week of November or the first week of December? I don't understand pre-ordering this phone unless they're going to give you free Pixel Buds Pro, which even if they did, most of the people who would be buying this phone bought Pixel Buds Pro in July when they came out. So I just want it out already. Like, give it to me. Give me all the cases. Just let me play with this thing already because I'm tired of having to pussyfoot around. Like, okay, it might have this. It might have that. This is a phone that has been finalized since May. I guarantee you. I, I, I think it's two things. I think you're right. They don't want to get mixed in with Samsung and Apple and and, and kind of just the, the slow season of, of the summer in terms of, like, new products. But I, I do think it's also... That is the A-series territory, right? Like, they have to move... If they move this, they have to move that. The other thing is that, like, you know, early adopter tax has always existed. And and at this point, you know, kind of like Daniel was saying, like, if you are a Pixel diehard and you're buying this on day one, you were just accepting that it's going to be on sale on Black Friday. It's going to be $100 off or whatever. And, and you either know that and you're fine with it or you are new to the Pixel community, I guess. Yeah. I... Yeah. Well, and... The Pixel 6a should be moved up to. It needs to go back to being at I.O. Yeah, I'm not like, against that. It makes that. no sense for the 6a to launch in like July or August and then for the main pixels to be two months after. This is the earliest Pixel event in a while, though. I mean, October yeah. 6th is closer to September than it is to November. It, it, and Thank goodness, so. <laughs> but it's still too late for what it is unless his phone is going to go on sale on like the 15th. The rumor before they announced the date, the rumor was the 6th and that it would go up for pre-order that day and hit retail a week later on the 13th, I believe. And so like the 6th uh, part of that rumor is true. I would assume that the rest of it is. Obviously, we'll have to wait until the event to find out. But I would guess up for pre-order that day in retail stores a week later. That seems doable. 
I also think it's worth mentioning, this isn't just a Pixel phone event. There's going to be the Pixel Watch, which is also teased. We know that there are going to be Nest products there. We just saw a leak of the new Nest Wired doorbell, which weirdly, I am just as excited about that as I am the new phones because I love my Nest Wired doorbell from 2018. It is like the most amazing smart home gadget I own, and yet it's slowly dying. And when Google released or Nest released the wireless doorbell last year, and it couldn't do 24-7 recording, but it had that way better camera, the wider aspect ratio lens, like I just want it. So like there are going to be other things and Google has to prepare. It's not a single company. Nest still operates relatively independently. That's something to contend with. And I don't think you can understate how important it is to line this up with the carriers, right? August, as you said, Samsung, September, Apple, if they even attempted to launch a phone in the force field around those two product launches, nobody would see the pixels in any carrier stores in the US. They would just be invisible because the marketing push around the Z Fold, Z Flip, and the iPhones is enormous. And they need a month for that hype to die down before they can even pretend to feel important in any of those places the flip was on every carrier's front page from its announcement until literally last wednesday when the iphone took its spot and the iphone will be there until maybe the pixel takes it oh know, i think you, the oh, iphone will be, still I, I be think there. I, I i said maybe you know like i mean it'll, it'll it, there may be like a small little box next yeah to it'll the be on the side <laughs> it's like and new pixel 7 i can hope right i can i can dream all right, let's move on. So there are a couple of other Google hardware-related things that we want to keep track of. First is that the next Chromecast is coming very soon, likely before the Pixel event. We basically know literally everything about this product. It's leaked so many times. We know what it looks like. We know what it can do. We know its limitations. We now know the price. We heard this about this thing in January. Like it's been... It's been coming like forever. Will, walk us through what we know about this thing. It's identical to the current Chromecast physically. If you really wanted a new design for a a dongle that sits behind or off to the side of your TV, I'm sorry, but it's the same. Same with the remote. It's the same. As far as the software goes, it's running Google TV. It's the same. I do believe it's running. Is it is it running a newer version of of Android TV? It might it might be technically. I, I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. I think, ironically, uh, the version it's running supports 4K menus, which the current Chromecast does not. But the two differences are it's 1080p, it's not 4K, and it's going to be probably $30 if the uh, leaked price is correct. I believe they, the, uh, $30 was the, uh, was the correction. Yeah, $40 Canadian, would be 40, US. 40 Canadian, yeah. yeah. So one thing to keep in mind about this is, you know, a lot of people are going to harp on the specs it's fine. You can do that, but maybe you shouldn't. I think the interesting thing here is the chip that the dongle will include. It's a weaker, slower version of the one in the Chromecast 4K. However, it does support native AV1 decode, which the current Chromecast does not. I think that will be important down the road. I know obviously AV1 decode is not widespread yet, but it will be in a couple of years. You don't always replace your streaming stick, you know, every year. And obviously the next Chromecast 4K will support AV1, but increasingly Google is saying that AV1 will be the codec powering all of its streaming 
across basically everything. Netflix is already using it on Android devices. So it's not like prolific yet, but you're getting a 30% bit for bit compression improvement over the current standard H HVC five. Oh, uh, uh, I'm like typing things uh, into H264? Google right now. <laughs> um, yeah, H two six five, and I'm like, what? What? What's that acronym? But uh, this is a big deal, right? It's royalty free. It's a, it's kind of agreed upon by everybody to be the next big encoding standard. So having native hardware to code is a, is a good thing. It won't really matter because this is maxing out at 1080p, but it kind of heralds that next step. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think this is obviously boring, especially to our audience in terms of like if you were hoping for a successor to the now two year old Chromecast with Google TV, especially one that was faster or offered more storage to like it's not going to do it for you. But their marketing images leaked and this is clearly like, oh, it's in the bedroom. It's in the kids room. Like it's clear Google knows what this is for. It is for not your living room, right? Like it's it's it, it's not for that. And so. I don't know. It's cool that they're offering this. $30 seems like the right price. 40 would have been insane. Well, 40 is what the regular one is selling for these days. Exactly. Like, that's why it would have been insane. Yeah, but that's the like 30 MSRP, still seems too high right? for it's, this. It's a $50 MSRP. This will be this will yes. be $30 MSRP, which means it'll be sold either give it away or it'll be sold for like $25, $20. It's the thing that Google will throw in with a Pixel 8. It's the echo dot of what Google's making here. Well, and Amazon has four different tiers of, of uh, Fire Sticks now. And so, like, they need to compete with that because Google just has the $50 one, essentially. And Amazon has their Fire TV Stick Lite goes down to, like, $15, $16 during Black Friday, during Prime Day. Like, it, it's basically free. But that's it's not even that. It's not even Amazon. It's Roku. It's yeah. It's also like, yes. like Roku is the one that Google is targeting with this. Like a everybody thinks about Amazon as the leader here, but it's not. Roku sells way more streaming sticks and streaming TVs, and Roku OS is on way more TVs in bedrooms, in kids' rooms because it's always been cheaper. The barrier to entry is lower. They have free streaming with Roku channels. It's just easier to onboard to Roku and. Their cheapest is $30, the Roku Express. It's a 1080p streaming stick with a very simple remote. This is exactly what that's targeting. But Roku is the only place you'll be able to watch Weird, the Al Yankovic story this November. So really, who wins? It's Roku. We all win when, when uh, <laughs> that movie is coming out. I've watched that trailer like four times. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a pretty good trailer. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe gets my full endorsement as Weird Al. It's like an amazing, amazing choice. I digress. Nothing is teasing its next announcement. We have no idea what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a butterfly in the ad. I don't I don't know. Is this even worth going over? I mean, no. not really. <laughs> it's probably just going to be a new colorway for the Nothing One, yes. right? I'm not sure why we put or this Or it's like new headphones getting, or something. Who knows? I was going to say, it could maybe be new headphones, but we've heard literally nothing in that department, and I don't see launching headbuds. I don't see launching earbuds this close to Black Friday for a company that is already mostly overlooked in the audio department. Yeah, let's let's move on. Nothing to see here. Some unfortunate cuts on the Google side. Google cut funding to its Area 120 division. This is a really interesting part of Google. It's basically an offshoot of like the 20% side project culture that Google started back when it launched in 1998. Like a lot of really interesting things have come out of Area 120 but nothing groundbreaking. 
the projects that were in that, that were currently being worked on are either being canceled or moved to other divisions. Nobody is being laid off within Google, but they're being told they will have to find new jobs within the company. Sundar Pichai is making a very big push to like make Google 20% more efficient, which means essentially there's a hiring freeze, but also just that people who work at Google need to work 20% harder to get, you know, with the same pay because they need to get productivity up by 20%. That's the goal. Having an in-house incubator for experimental stuff may not have been a great look because people generally just get to think for a living in those places. And I'm guessing Google didn't want to project the fact that like all of its engineers, all of its accountants, all of its HR people are working 20% harder and here a bunch of like potheads over at Area 120 just like getting high all day and thinking. I don't think that's actually what happened, but like maybe that's the perception here. They didn't really want to endorse something like this. I'm disappointed because some of the projects that have come out of Area 120 have been pretty cool. I hope nobody actually loses their job. I mean, I'm pretty sure at least a couple of them are because some of them are going to be types of engineers that they don't necessarily have a whole lot of openings for others of that type within the company, especially considering a number of these were like hardware engineers and hardware within Google is still a relatively small team. But at the same time, I don't know if this is so much as a 120 was not great for the company, not great for the financials, more than just we're still in a period of economic uncertainty and high inflation and just this is the easy place to cut funding because we can just shelve a bunch of these products and then when gravy is flowing again, maybe we can start figuring out which ones we bring back. This just looked like it was the easy cut. But they're not cutting people, right? They're cutting projects. They're moving people from an area that was a loss leader, right? It was a place that Google put investment. You know, it's basically similar to the other bets stuff, just on a smaller scale within Google. And they probably thought people making HTML5 games was not a great use of their time. They could be doing things in AI and actually contributing to the company's mission to take over the world. But yeah, I mean, it sucks. People losing, they're not losing a job, but they're losing their job. That's hard. We also heard this week in another blockbuster report that Google is no longer making its own Chromebooks. Ara, this must have been hard news for you. It's it's disappointing, but not surprising, especially considering the products we've had from other manufacturers this year and in the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. The HP Elite Dragonfly G3 Chromebook. Exactly. That's the problem. Uh, rolls right off the that's tongue. Exactly the issue right yeah, right? Everybody's making that same argument. Other companies are making great Pixelbook competitors. No, they're not, because they're all named... The Dragonfly Elite H3 version <laughs> 2.7. Well, HP just absolutely adores the Elite name and loves the Dragonfly line because the Dragonfly line is like one of their top things. But I agree. This should have just been the HP Dragonfly Chromebook and that's all it needed to say. But it's also a Chromebook that starts, starts at like 1600 if you do the customizable ones. You can maybe get some of the ba- uh, lower base model i3 versions for 1200. And that's high comparing it to the previous Pixel. You must be high to spend twelve hundred dollars on a Chromebook. On a yeah, don't spend twelve hundred. No one spends twelve hundred dollars. I'm very much looking forward to reviewing this thing. I very much love using it. I would not have purchased this with my own money, but it's been great. It's the size and the aspect ratio that Pixelbook owners would want. Typing experience isn't quite as good as Google's was because Google's keyboard and trackpad were just god, but. 
it performs well. I wish the fans were a little bit quieter, but what are you going to do? But that, okay, let's uh, let's keep on topic. So Google's yeah, third sorry. Chrome Pix, Pixel Book after, I mean, they're technically the fourth with the Chromebook Pixel, but we're talking the Pixel Book 2017, the Pixel Book Go in 2019. 2019, because we had the Slate in 2018. Yeah, the Slate, which we don't want to talk about. Um, the Slate and then, ended up a decent product. Nope, but... nope, nope. We're not doing this again. <laughs> sorry. The Slate was garbage. <laughs> That's that's the final call. But there was another Pixelbook in development, deep in development, according to the reports. That'll be shelved. That's unfortunate, I think. I mean, I think the Pixelbook is one of the best computers you can buy. Like, just straight up, both Pixelbooks, the Pixelbook and Pixelbook Go, very different designs, very different purposes, prices, etc., and I don't want to overstate the fact that there were issues, right? That you couldn't get stock of most of the Pixelbook Go SKUs for a very long time. They were underpowered to some extent, but Google did a really good job designing this. It was a cohesive product. And I think a lot of people are frustrated that Google can't figure out what it wants from hardware. And especially with Google releasing a 300 or what is probably going to be a $350 Pixel tablet next year that is also a Nest you know, a smart display, where does the hardware team go from there? Is it is this it for homemade Chromebooks? Should it be? Well, the question also becomes, do you need Google to make Chromebooks considering the just the sheer number of Chromebook models that are coming out of the main four OEMs for Chromebooks, which is Asus, Acer, Lenovo, and HP. Dell does some, but they don't do as nearly as many as the rest. But HP and Acer alone put out more Chromebooks in a year than anybody knows what to do with. Especially Acer. Acer has a new Chromebook coming out like once every six weeks. So I don't know if Google needed to get in on that. I agree that we want a premium reference device. I wish they could have like worked on HP in order to get the Elite Dragonfly Chromebook to a more Pixelbook-ish Is that design. what this was though? Like I don't, this isn't a Nexus. Like when you think of a, Chromebook reference device. I don't think of the it's Pixel not a Book reference device. Go. This was proving what Chrome OS was like capable of when it was powerful and well made. Because before the Pixel Book, we didn't really have a whole lot of good premium Chromebooks. Premium Chromebooks are not hard to find these days. Yeah, I get it. I do, but I just I'm upset that Google can't make up its mind about which direction it wants to go in hardware, especially given the fact that they're releasing a Pixel Watch next month. There's a Pixel tablet coming for the first time. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But anyway. The rule of big screens. Google can only make a Chromebook or a tablet. And right. Neither, it can't, it can't not, do not both. both. Yeah. Quickly, Google's fine in the EU that was meted out in 2018 has been upheld. It's now 200 million euros less than it was. So 4.1 billion euros instead of 4.3 billion euros. Uh, this is around Android forks and making sure that Google was not making illegal deals with companies to include Google services on their products, but it does look like they're going to go ahead and have to pay it. This is unfortunate that we're in this position. Obviously, I'm of the belief that Google should allow companies to make all the forks they want and not force them to include Google services. Android is open source. On the other hand, Google's version of Android is just a better product in many ways. And we've seen over the years that AOSP has become less and less of a complete product as Google has taken more of its proprietary code and given it to the pixels and to the manufacturers. But like, there's still nothing that is preventing a company from going and 
forking Android and making their own version of it. It's just that Google was accused of like being like, listen, if you're going to do that, we're not going to work with you anymore. Because, I mean, yeah, you can go out and fork Android. You can put whatever you want on it. But without GMS, without so many of the APIs that are now locked in GMS, Android is just kind of, it doesn't make as much sense. I don't know. I mean, Google has had to offer choices when people buy a phone in, in the EU. They have a choice of their default search engine and their default browser. So they can choose whether they want to install DuckDuckGo as their default or Microsoft Edge as their default browser. But that did not assuage the enforcement body, the regulatory body, and uh, they're going to have to pay the fine. So that's what's happened. Uh, there's some new emojis in the emoji kitchen. You can now make awful, terrifying thumbs up combos. They're not which all you should go awful. To the site. Some of them are cool. Oh, they are. They are. They're ter- terrifying. All of them. Um, Manuel has a really, really incredible article that rounds up all of the combos including the spider thumbs up, the coffee thumbs up, uh, the, <laughs> the spicy pepper thumbs up, uh, the meat thumbs up. Uh, there's just, there's so many good ones. I'm, I'm very, very happy with this. Uh, you should definitely check it out. And then what else is there? We'll talk quickly about the Sonos Sub Mini. It's $430. It's uh, coming at the end of September. This has been like a long rumored product. There's really nothing here that's like, mind-blowing. If you have a Sonos system, you might want a a sub. This is for small to medium-sized rooms as opposed to the $750 sub, which is massive and overpowering. I've used it. Uh, It's it's unnecessary for most homes. I'm actually getting a review unit of this, so I will let you know how it is, but it's a subwoofer. I mean, come on, nothing much to talk about. So what I want to end the show with, though, Will, is uh, an opinion that you have on the site (laughs) that is causing the internet to blow up and get really mad at you for things you're not saying. No one's mad at me. Um, no one's mad at me. So let's let's actually read the title of this because that's uh, it's an amazing. Don't amazing read the title. Of... That's what people are really mad at. Well, exactly. I want you to explain <laughs> it. The sooner Android sure. accepts RCS is dead, the sooner we can choose the next messaging platform that matters. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I don't think my position is as extreme as the headline makes it sound. I really don't. I think the headline is accurate, but the thousand words that follow, uh, I think, is is a much more level-headed argument. So. This starts last week, real quick, a day after Apple's keynote, Tim Cook is at Vox's code conference on stage. There's a Q&A segment. Someone asks about RCS support and Tim Cook says, our users don't want it. And guy in the audience says, well, my mom doesn't have an iPhone. You know, I want to send her high res photos. And Tim Cook says, I would suggest you buy your mom an iPhone. That is how this starts. So This is really the first concrete statement we've had from Apple on RCS, I would say. As far as I can find, Google has been poking this bear all year, like literally since January and leading up to a campaign they launched last month that uh, I I believe we talked about on this show. It it has not gone anywhere, right? Like Apple launched iOS 16, no RCS support. Apple launched their iPhones today, no RCS support. They said, we're not interested. Thanks, but no thanks. Buy an iPhone if you want to have a good uh, messaging experience. Now, this is a U.S. problem. I say that in the piece. This is a U.S.-centric thing. In the rest of the world, everyone is happy on WhatsApp or Signal or whatever. And basically, my argument is that we should go back to trying to persuade the iPhone-owning people in our lives who are upset that, you know, the group chats are bad or that you're sending low-res photos. In 2022, third-party chat apps are pretty good. 
right? If you want to use a meta app, if you don't mind, WhatsApp is right there. Messenger is right there. Your mom's on Facebook. Go for it. If you don't want to use a meta app, totally get it. I've been using Signal for the last couple months. I've actually grown to really like it. I think Signal's pretty good. Uses your phone number. It, if that's a big deal to you, I personally like using my phone number, so that's great. Just it might be time to one more time persuade the people on iPhone in your life to jump onto a, a third party app. That's kind of my big point. We've tried it with Hangouts. You might have tried it with Allo. Uh, it didn't work either time. And, and now it's time to just not worry about what Google's doing, not worry about what Apple's doing. Just use a different app. I mean, I love this in theory, but I think you're wrong yes. in practice because the threshold to mm-hmm. opening another app is going to be much higher than opening already up does the it. default app that, that Apple forces you to use. But you're already on Instagram. Sure. But you're already you're in Instagram you? has I mean probably statistically the only time I open I open Instagram for one DM with one person and to check sure. on pocket princesses for a new comic. That's literally all I use it for. Like I have a telegram. I haven't even activated it on the last two phones that I've used because I use it so little and every time I open it, I'm just getting inundated with crypto spam. Well, I understand sure. that it's like, okay, if the like multi-carrier multi-system like if everything else is going to support this but apple won't then our solution can't be to just then give that monopoly to another company especially because we're not going to be able to have any one app as a centralized like this is where we can all message together the thing about mmms and rcs was that it was one system and everybody could use it yeah but this is all ignoring the fact that the rest of the world doesn't have this issue like this the rest is of not the world doesn't have this issue because they picked one platform 10 years ago and they've stuck with it. And that's WhatsApp. Right. But you just said we can't do that. <laughs> we can't. Because WhatsApp got bought and now we don't know what that app data is being used for. No, but no, all no. Those Ari, are you're, you are, you, you're contradicting yourself. I, I, I think you're also wrong in this scenario. <laughs> you're wrong for only Daniel's right you, today, guys. Right here. And I'll only explain, Daniel. I'll explain to you why I'm right. I'm right because this is not a matter of practical application. This is not about me choosing to put Telegram or WhatsApp in my iPhone dock instead of the Messages app. It is the fact that there is some psychological barrier for most people when they think about the difference between an SMS and an app-based messenger. And that is true of every single permutation of this argument. And Apple has somehow magically made it feel like iMessage is both an SMS app and a messenger because it is. And it's the only one that's been able to do that. And I I acknowledge what you're saying, Will, about the fact that this doesn't appear to be a problem outside of the US. But what you have to acknowledge is that over the last 10 years or nine years or whatever since iMessage launched, this learned behavior has been ingrained in iPhone users. And Apple's argument here is that this is not going to change and it's not our problem because we've made a better experience. And Google's argument is, well, then just freaking support the sublayer to make SMS better because like, they've basically said, you've won. Like Google has literally said, you've won here. Throw us a bone. And Apple's like, we don't want to throw you a bone because we want you to die. Like, that's the whole thing here. I mean, literally, isn't the 
buy your mom an iPhone thing, isn't that like the basically the opening line for saying, okay, y'all wanted a case for anti-competitive behavior? Here it is. Let's Correct. go smack a fine on them if sure. they will not add this. Right. They will not change unless the government makes them. So and I say that in the piece. Time. No, no, I, 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 th- I think what, what you're saying is, is correct, but Google basically is begging, and they're saying, we know iMessage won, we just want you to give us this little taste of, of like equality. And Apple's like, why would we do that? Because over the last 10 years, you've trained your user base in a certain way with Android and with Google Assistant and with, like, Google has done this. If you think about search, you think about Google. Apple can make the same argument about iMessage. Google is basically telling regulators, we have lots of search competitors. We have lots of mobile competition because you can fork Android all you want. You can do whatever you want with Android. You can make your own experience. Nobody's forcing you to use GMS. And at the same time, turning around and asking Apple, please, we just want your scraps. We just want RCS to be integrated into iMessage. And Apple's basically saying like, you're not giving us any space here in in the other places that you're dominant. Why would we give any space in the area that we're dominant? Yeah, I agree. Whether it's right or not is irrelevant, but it's their prerogative. And I think the argument here that user behavior is going to change because Telegram or Signal are good apps avoids the reality that the messages app on an iPhone is not an app. It's just not. Sure. I fully agree. I am coming at this not from the angle of is Google right or wrong because I think they're right. I think their argument is self-serving, but they're right. It doesn't change that. I'm coming at this personally, and I wrote it very much in, in, a, in a much more personal way than I usually write on the site, which is just that like I'm tired. Like I'm tired of this battle. Like I'm tired of being like, oh man, messaging is going to be so good next year. Just it, it, I've been saying that for I got my first Android phone in 2011. So, and, and iMessage launched, I want to say in 20, I mean, like 2011 also, probably I, 2011, 2012, something like that. It's the iOS 5, I think. So, yeah, uh, around that time. And so it's like, I'm just tired. And like, you know what? Most of my group chats have moved to Facebook Messenger or Signal in the last year, and it's gotten so much better. And like, I don't have to worry about lock in, I don't have to worry about anything like that. So, it, it, it is. If Apple adopts RCS next year or they're forced to by the government or the carriers are like, we want to start phasing out SMS, everyone has to switch to RCS, that's totally down for that. I would love that. I still want that. I do think, you know, I'm 27. I think especially people under 30 are starting, whether or not they're on iPhone, are starting to realize like, oh, it isn't just an Android issue. It is actually an issue with like, these apps are not compatible, but there's these apps like, oh, like if I send it through Instagram, it's fine, right? And so I think specifically in that demographic, the conditions are right for some peer pressure to say like, just grab this app. We'll just start the group chat there and we don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, and that part, I absolutely think you're you're right about. And like, I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. Like, neither of you are wrong. It's just that there is, there's no right argument to this because- But Daniel is right. But I'm, Let's I'm be more, clear. I'm more he right. is right. Yeah, it's, neither, it's not that you were wrong. It's that I'm just more right. No, I, I just think yeah. it's, it's like, there's so, there's so much of a psychological element to this. Yeah, um, well, and I agree. also, can, like, it's been litigated already that the way that Apple built iMessage and built that psychological idea that iMessage is both text messages and something better than text messages that was all built off of things that were known, like Google, Apple. Has Apple been fined for this? But they were found to be deceptive practices. Yeah, but the, nothing's ever been forced on them. Like 
there has been zero regulatory consequence to Apple beyond the only thing that Apple has been forced to do is change third-party billing and allow links inside their apps because that was litigated through the Epic trial. Congress or the Justice Department has not said to Apple, like, your messaging platform is contributing to lock-in. You're going to be forced to change. And it is. And this is happening at the same time that we just saw, by some metrics, iPhones are above like 50% in the US, right? And so it's like, now they are like literally the majority, like Android is not in the US, right? And so I do wonder if, you know, if if literally while we were recording this, the video of, of Tim Cook saying, buy your mom an iPhone is now online, like as we were recording this, I do wonder if like, you know, they're kind of pushing their luck a little bit on this. Google is making a lot of noise. Apple is making a lot of like he probably Tim Cook probably said it as a joke, but probably should not have said to fix your problem buy one of our products in a filmed Q&A. I do wonder if the government does eventually pay attention to this, whether anything happens in a world where, you know, antitrust, it like doesn't matter. Well, aren't, but, aren't they investigating like we have commissions and whatnot and the Consumer Protection Product Bureau. Uh, yeah, I'm just not going to put any faith in any of that. It's yeah, like, no, I, not... I, I can't put faith in any of these considering they have like, OK, we have said in a court of law that this was wrong multiple yeah. times. Nothing has changed because we have not punished these people for it. Like, either punish them or stop admitting the wrongdoing without actually doing anything to change it. Because Apple has just gotten away with this for a decade. They have finally browbeat their way to majority market share in the United States. This is the time that you go, okay, these are unfair business practices, and they have now contributed to a monopoly. Because they control over half of the market. One company controls over half of the U.S. mobile market. Android is multiple manufacturers. It's not Google. You have gotten what you wanted through these unfair practices now. Now it's time to pay up or it's time to fix it and finally make this interoperable. I, yep. But it just comes down to like, while that happens, you know, maybe in 2024, Apple has to adopt RCS. Maybe, you know, maybe it happens. But right now I'm tired and you can message me and signal. <laughs> like well, that's, that's you're tired, <laughs> but you're also generating an enormous number of uh, clicks for our site. Which, um, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy with. So we'll end it there. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Thank you, Ara. Thank you for listening. We love hearing from you. Send us feedback, podcast at androidpolice.com. You can find Ara on the internet talking about her favorite Disney match game or whatever whatever park-related <laughs> adventure you're going on. I'm totally not playing that right now. I don't I know. I'm just, I just assume that's, that's what you're tweeting about. No, I am. Mm. Ara Wagco. You can <laughs> find Will. You should be tweeting more. You're our phone's editor, Will. You should be tweeting more. That's your, that's I've been trying order. to be... I've been trying to tweet less. I can tweet more. Okay, tweet more. I, 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 like, I like your tweets. You should tweet more. Okay, I'll do um, it. You can find Will at Will underscore Saddleberg. Go follow him. We need to get that and then, follower But don't yell at me, please. Oh <laughs> don't yell at me. <laughs> I He's mean, sensitive. if you're on social media, you're asking to get yelled at. It's, I know. it's part of being here. Yell at me instead. I'm at Journey Dan. Uh, you can find, <laughs> you can yell us, yell at us all in the comments at androidpolice.com. Uh, but be civil about it. And uh, we will be back next week because there's lots more news. It's Techtember, if you haven't already noticed. Um, and then we are inching our way closer to the Pixel event. So until next week, have a great one. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.